0: Hello, I am Yasmin Bannerman, and you are listening to The Sirens of Audio.
1: Why does he have to start whippersnipping the instant I start recording? I just don't understand. Good day, Audiophiles. You're listening to The Sirens of Audio, the podcast that explores the universe of Doctor Who and the audio medium. My name is Dwayne.
2: And my name is Philip. Good day, Dwayne. Good day, Audiophiles. Check it. Just, <laughs>
1: just checking you got it right today, Philip. Um, <laughs> we. Uh, uh, and now I've tried to say something funny. I've had a complete uh, mind blank.
2: <laughs> Punishment.
1: Uh, today, we're going to be speaking with. Uh, a very established Big Finnish writer and also a writer from the classic series and that is Andrew Smith uh, very much looking forward to hearing what Andrew has to say, Philip
2: Yes, me too I was actually quite I remember being quite jealous when I was young someone also. a few years older than me was writing for the TV show And uh, but yeah it's interesting to see how much work he had to put in to get there we're going to have a, a great chat with him
1: yeah, you may be under the impression because he was so young that he just rocked up and that's how it happened. But uh, you may find the whole story a little bit uh, more in depth than you might perceive. Indeed. But before we do that, Philip, you know what Ooh, I see? No, you know what I see, I see up ahead? No brain. It is a rabbit hole. Here we go. <laughs> Right. Because we've got a classic Doctor Who writer on, it got me thinking about the fact that he's cross-pollinated to Big Finish. And there are some writers who've done that. And it got me thinking about the quality of uh, Big Finish authors. So Andrew Smith, obviously quality writer, and he's doing more and more of it. Why, Why hasn't the Doctor Who television series taken more of these writers out a Big Finish. They took a few out in the early years, but don't seem to have done that for quite some time. Any theories on why that's the case? Do they just not have the ability to write for TV? Is it lack of experience? What do you think is a number of things? I mean, you're reading the Russell T book. So any insights from that that you can answer that question with?
2: Well, certainly with the Russell T book, he was prepared to use writers from other areas and realized that there's some great stories out there. Certainly, I mean, the thing about reading the book is the amount of rewriting Russell always did so even with really well-established authors there were some writers he wouldn't rewrite but that, that's a very you know two or three everybody else he rewrote extensively but he still appreciated other people's input ideas thinking and then he just reworked it into the tone he wanted uh, I, I don't know why more recently people haven't you know, the the uh, showrunners haven't done that because there is just such amazing depth of writing out there and big finish writers just get better all the time. I don't see why they aren't capable of writing it. I mean, certainly they need guidance. The, um, I mean, one of the things that Russell does, which I've worked out about, is as he writes a script, he knows what a scene's going to cost him. And you know, to, to do this scene on, on screen is going to cost this. I'm not sure big finish writers would have that sort of knowledge because they can put whatever they want on the on, the, yes, on the that's canvas. Yes, that's and, true. And so they wouldn't know what is going to cost a gigantic amount, what's going to cost a small amount. Um, But that being said, if they were being guarded by the right sort of producer or showrunner, that shouldn't be an issue because they'd be guiding them along the way and helping them to, to learn those skills. Um, Yeah, I, I think it's been to the detriment of the well, show. In
1: and the then- old days, that was the job of the script editor, and these days, I guess script editor plus showrunner, sort of overlooking the whole thing as well. I mean, they've had a classic series writer on the show, Rona Munro. Why, why not have someone like Andrew Smith come back and do something? Why not um, have someone who is firmly established with Big Finish as writing epic stuff? Like, what about Matt Fitton? What about John Dorney? Uh, what about Nicholas Briggs, dare I, dare I say? Um, the, all these writers are very, very competent when it comes to storytelling, so I don't see why that can't translate from audio to the small screen.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the storytelling, their scripting, their characterisations, everything they do is so spot on. We just haven't got the visuals. And it really, I can't believe it would be that hard a step to actually go one step further. So, yeah, I think, yeah, Russell, when you're coming back, there's some great talent to tap into. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see some of these writers being exposed more because the stuff they're doing, it's so creative. It's... Emotional. It's powerful. It just it taps everything that you want a good story to tap. Yeah, I'd I'd love to see more of it.
1: All right, let's uh, throw in a trailer for one of Andrew Smith's early Big Finish adventures, and we'll be back with him in just a moment.
0: Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who: The Companion Chronicles, The Invasion of Espace. I am Romana Dvoratrelunda. Known as Romana, a Time Lord of the Pridonian chapter. It's been decades since I said goodbye to the Doctor at the Gateway and remained behind in this universe of e-space. I am lead investigator Marnie Tellis of the Verudin Federal Investigation Directorate. I am a material witness in the inquiry into the events of the 10th segment on the month of Ironrod. There are so many personal stories about that day
3: the day we thought our entire planet was about to be destroyed.
0: What's that? Something's coming through the CVE. Then, on the screen, behind the clouds, out of the CVE, a warship appeared, a massive battle cruiser. The disks will settle on the surface and activate all over your planet, all over your moon, and on all the ships you have stationed here. Some of them are already here. Romana, they have started killing already. They would certainly kill to keep their presence secret and tell us, look, their main force is almost here.
3: There's one last battle
0: to fight, but now we're nearing the end. We command here now. If you continue to fight, you will die. Subscribers get more at BigFinish.com.
2: Few writers have managed to write for both the classic series, and also Big Finish. One of the ones today, though, who has is our special guest, Andrew Smith. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's, it's great to have you on board. Um, you have a reputation, well, you've got a history, which is unusual, because, of course, you first wrote for the classic series, but also you were very young. So I want to talk about that in a moment, but do you want to just give us a little bit of background about you know, where you grew up and, yeah, a bit about your
3: family? Oof. Yeah, well, uh, well, I'm from Scotland, uh, born and mostly raised in, in Glasgow, spent a couple of years when I was about two or three in Blackpool um, in the north of England, but um, yeah, brought up in uh, mainly Rutherglen in Glasgow, and uh, yeah, I was, I was into writing from a very young age, got a typewriter as a Christmas present when I was about seven or eight, I think, and never looked back, um, and that was a thing back then, you know, not everyone could type. That kind of gave me a heads up uh, when I was sort of looking to uh, get established professionally, as it were.
2: You got to achieve what millions of fans would have wanted to do when you were still a child, really. And you got to write for Doctor Who. So how, how did it come about that you managed to to be an, an author on Full Circle?
3: Well, I, I think the first thing to say is that, that my age was kind of immaterial to me. I mean, I, I wasn't writing in and saying, hi, I'm Andrew and I'm... 14 or 15 or 16 or whatever. I just sent ideas in as I would have done if I'd been in, in my 20s. So it's kind of immaterial to me. And I, I'm not sure if my age ever became apparent um, maybe you know, until I came down and, and met Douglas Adams. Uh, I was I was 16 at that point. But what I did, I, I sent my first uh, idea in, which was actually as a full script, to Robert Holmes. and That was, that was around the time Talos Wang Chang was being transmitted so I'm sure when was that was that 77? 77
2: 77
3: yeah yeah um and yeah that came back with with some nice notes he actually suggested that i just maybe not send ideas into doctor who but kind of try other original things plays and things but i said if he didn't mind i'd, li- I'd like to continue submitting ideas and he put me onto a book called writing for television by written by in the 70s written by malcolm hulk which showed me how scripts are actually laid out. And I think that was important as well, because it meant when I presented a script, it actually looked like a proper uh, formatted television script. So after Robert, I sent a script in to Anthony Reid, and he sent that back with uh, a lot of annotations on it, some very, very constructive comments. Um, And uh, one, one of which was, aha, you're a fan. When I mentioned something about isomorphic controls of the TARDIS, Uh, And I I think I was kind of passing one script editor to to the other, someone worth keeping an eye on. And so I I sent a couple of ideas into Douglas Adams. And by this point, I was sending in storylines, so two or three page ideas uh, for stories. And he invited me down to speak to him while Creature from the Pit was being recorded. So I was in studio for that and had nice long chats with Douglas. And he got me my first alcoholic drink, um, which is a, a nice little anecdote I like to repeat to people um so and did, then did, did, did yeah.
2: they have any idea of your age at that stage or did they work out
3: how young you were I don't, I don't think so i mean i hadn't mentioned it i mean obviously i, I came and met douglas um having said that, that, that I, I i did a play for television when i was 18 and there's a piece in the, the tv times the local tv listings magazine or national tv listings magazine that mentioned this upcoming play that i'd written and i was 23 and I spoke to uh, Robert Love, the head of drama at uh, Scottish Television, who'd, who'd been interviewed for I said, where'd you get the idea I was 23? He said, well, if they asked me your age, and I guess it's about right, isn't it? And I said, well, no, I'm actually um, uh, So I, I don't know. I think I, I maybe did look a bit older than I was. So, But I don't know if my age ever really came into it. I, and it certainly didn't have any significance for me uh, that I was, was just writing stories and hoping one would be picked up. And, uh, and then there was an idea I'd actually sent into Douglas called The Planet That Slept that was picked up by Chris. Um, so when Chris took over, I mean, we had a telephone conversation where he told me I couldn't possibly write for the series because I lived too far away. But come down and we'll have a chat about how you'd get into writing otherwise. And then I, I came down to London, went into his office. And the first thing he said was, oh, we're thinking of commissioning you to write a scene breakdown and a script for the first episode. And then if you like that, we'll commission the rest. And I was like, wow, because <laughs> that was not what I was expecting. And then uh, yes, yeah, so I wrote that, and a week later got the phone call saying, "Yeah, we love it. Do the other episodes." Yeah. Well, how did
1: how did those two script editors uh, sort of differ to you in your eyes? Douglas Adams and Chris Bidmead quite different characters from from my perspective. But what about you?
3: Uh, yeah, I think I mean I mean obviously my interaction with Douglas was a few letters and, and ideas I sent to him, uh, and that that one time I met him. Whereas Chris, and, you know Chris, I got to know pretty well um uh i saw him quite a bit and we obviously worked together and developing the script and and at the end of the day there's a lot of chris went went into the script he did a redraft where he he added quite a bit or changed quite a bit uh particularly with the, the fourth episode um so it yeah 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 it's hard to say i mean i mean there were different characters uh you know it's yeah it's hard to say how they'd I mean the one thing that they very much had in common was they they were just very open to me and constructive. Um, and are, are the two guys who are really responsible for me getting that, that amazing start and that and that boost, which boosted my self confidence apart from anything else. You know, um, uh, I'm indebted to them both and Doug- Douglas as well. I mean, just by that that encouragement and support. That he gave me at the, the time uh and i you know and i know he tipped me off to, to chris again someone to watch and might be uh worth taking a chance on um yeah between them i, I just saw them so much in terms of the way they worked it's difficult for me to, to comment on you know douglas as a script editor to, to be on what, what everyone knows about what he what he did on the series and uh, on, on series 17.
2: how did your love of doctor who first start because you're obviously a, a fan before you, beforehand
3: yeah, I can't remember a time which is I didn't watch Doctor Who every Saturday, really. I mean, my, my early, I, I, I'm sure I must as a little, little, little and it started when I, I was just over one year old. Um, But it just seemed to me like it was always on on a Saturday afternoon. And my earliest memories are of Patrick Troughton with Jay, you know, Second Doctor with Jamie, uh, particularly Zoe, but I did watch earlier episodes. My earliest definite episode is Yeti on the Underground. So when, the web, when I heard the Web of Fear was coming back, I was over the moon to, to see that because I do remember watching it. I've got memories of Cybermen. I mean, the Cybermen are my Doctor Who monster because they were just so well used in the Patrick Troughton era and in the comics that I was reading at the time. Um, but my memories of them, you know, definitely the invasion, but it might be I remember them from stories before the Web of Fear, but I just can't place that exact story. And quarks, quarks are... I love a quark, I don't care what anyone thinks about the Dominators, I watched that when I was six years old and I had a dream or a nightmare of quarks I still remember, which was of quarks coming over a clifftop and then when the VHS of it was released and I saw it again for the first time in years and there was actually that footage of quarks coming over this ridge which I remember ha- having a dream about, that was, that was quite something. So whatever you say about the story and the Dominators isn't the best story, I'll admit that, but there's just that little chemical reaction in my brain when I watch that that takes me back to being six years old. So, yeah, from a very, very early age, it was just there. And as I got older, and I, I think there there are people uh, people of a, a certain age who, I think I was around 12 when Tom Baker took over, and I think the Pertwee years and the Baker years were just such a sweet spot. And I think Tom Baker with Philip Hinchcliffe and Robert Holmes, again, was such... Uh, a great time for the series. And I think if you're around, I was around 12, 13, 14 for that, which I think really was a, a great age to be watching Doctor Who of that quality and of that type and of the type of stories that they were telling. Um, and at that time as well, it was a time, the no, Planet of Evil was being broadcast. So I think this was 75. I was in Blackpool with both, uh, on holiday with my mum and dad and went to the Doctor Who exhibition, which is where I discovered Target novels novelizations so uh I hoovered some of them up and then what I started doing was audio recording the series every Saturday and typing them up doing like my own novelizations if you like and that was good because I that kind of I think that's what gave me an ear for what the, good dialogue or putting dialogue on the page um because that that that's a bit of an art in itself writing dialogue that actually works um, and I think that's where I picked it up, and I was recording other stories I would record like episodes of the Sweeney write them up as well and, and other programs uh specifically just to get a feel of what you know what these things look like on the page as well as retelling the stories
2: so at that stage, your desire was to be a writer by the sense of it
3: yeah yeah I'd, uh, yeah, that was kind of an aspiration from an early age I, I, and I just always love writing, you know and i I wrote a lot of stuff for myself. Yeah, and and you know, and had had that in mind at the same time. You know, I I also had an interest in the police, and that was something that uh, you you know they got me with a career film at school, and I was really interested in. That. I always kind of wanted to have a life that, you know, at the end of it, I could look back and say, you know, you really lived a life, sort of thing. And I could see the the possibilities of that with the police, kind of just to have a bit of excitement and adventure. Um, but also wanted to, you know, want wanted this. Uh, career as a, uh, a writer as well and so that they were two things that were always important to me I've just been very lucky with, uh, with, with how it panned out and the people I met you know Douglas and Chris again they'd been different individuals in those posts it, it could be very different there's no, no question I mean you, you know as a, a new writer and a very young writer and it was uh, quite a chance they took to taking on that story. Did you spend much
2: time with John Nathan Turner?
3: Yeah, yeah. So I just saw John quite a bit and spoke to him on the phone quite a bit as well. And I remember John came into the um, uh, the first meeting I had with Chris because we 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 had a meeting. It's quite a long meeting, going through my storyline and then talking about um, how we developed that and change it, what was wanted for the series. And I've I still got Chris's notes on that actually on what we talked about. One thing I remember from John, I was just really impressed because I just liked where he was taking the series. Season 17 hadn't left a very good impression with me, to be honest, just for the, the amount of humour in it. Particularly a couple of scenes I remember from the Horns and Imon, where I thought things had got a little bit silly, and John clearly wanted to bring it back. And that's another thing where I was lucky. I think, you know, I, I think in another season Full Circle might have turned out differently in tone, but in terms of what they were doing with Tom and Chris's approach to stories and John's overall view of what he wanted for season eighteen—it um, was—it uh, was—it was a good time to come on board.
2: So, with your first outline of full circle, I think it was called. Was it the planet that slept originally? Was that your original planet that title? slept?
3: I, I wish it. Still was.
2: You, you like that title better
3: still? Oh God, yeah, yeah. yeah
2: it's a great. I mean, great I, title. I like,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't understand it. I got a phone call. I think it was John actually wanted it changed. I got a phone call from chris telling me it was changing it wasn't my idea at all uh and he said we're going to change it to full circle I'm, why and he, he said um uh he said oh john doesn't like t- titles have got the word of in the title i said well it doesn't the planet that slept and chris said he said yeah it looks really good on the whiteboard it looks really good on the wall the planet that slept.'" and i uh, i don't know I, I don't know maybe john just got used to it and thought he'd have something else i don't know but um it's interesting yeah. because I mean, I mean, the plan that's slipped
2: isn't a particular Doctor, Doctor Who-ish title, but it is full circle. So it's not like they changed it to something
3: more. When you did your first, I think Chris said as well that it might not have fitted on the on, on the screen. I said, but yeah, it's, we had the Creature from the Pit, which is longer. But it's, uh, and titles are still something that I can. It's left. It's injured me. It's wounded me. People play around <laughs> with my titles. I hate. I hate coming up with titles. I'll tell you that now. But when I do, I get. I, I. am very protective of them.
2: Have you had other titles changed on you that you still feel bitter about?
3: I'm going to claim the fifth. There's one. I'm not going to tell you what it is though. But um, okay. But it was, actually, I did a radio. I did a play for radio called Goal, and it was a, a marathon runner, and I did that not long after Doctor Who, and then the. Uh, the, the producer got on to me and said, what well, about the title? Should we change it? I went, nope, nope, just the pretty No, Nope, we're not changing it. And actually in that case, we probably should have changed it. But, <laughs> but again, I was just so kind of sensitive about it at the time. No, no, that's the title. That's my title. We're, ha- we're having that one. It went, oh, okay. But, uh, uh, yeah, so there you go. So
2: with your original storyline, who were the companions that you'd written for b- beforehand?
3: Ooh, I think, hmm probably was Romana. I mean, Idrick didn't feature in I was giving Adric to put into the story. Um, but uh, I think, it, yeah, I think it must have been Romana. Yeah, it would, yeah, it would have been. It would have been. Because, um, yeah, because uh, I would have sent it in when Douglas was there. So I think, yeah, it would have been Romana. Uh, and K-9. Mm. But I uh, say uh, K-9's, all, K-9's all right. But... Um, no, having his head knocked off was one of my earlier decisions but um, uh, yeah so it was Romana and it, it was quite different because the, the storyline actually had the Starliner crashing on the planet so it was them crashing and then reacting to it, and it but it was in that script meeting, it was it, it, yeah here's an idea it's actually a generational thing and then that led to what was a really different idea which is that the, the Starliner citizens are actually the evolved Marshmen which is the key of the story and that's why it's called Full Circle as well
1: why did you find it hard to write for, or why didn't you like writing for, for, for K-9? Was it the fact that he was like a magic fix or was it, uh... I, I
3: think at, at the time, um, K- K-9, I just, I thought was a thing for the kids and I, and I wasn't a kid, uh. 17, I, you're grown up. Yeah, yeah, I will do that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just thought it was a thing for the kids and a, and a, and a little bit silly. That was that was just my, my opinion uh, I, you know I, 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 I get the affection for him but it, 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 it wasn't really it, it wasn't really for me uh, so and I, I know he was you know he was taking of other stories in the season and, and I've read things that say, you know I was told to take him out no 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 that was that was all me and, it, um, and it, but actually and I do think actually it's it, it's, it, it worked really well I think because people didn't expect it. You know, a number of people have said, you know, particularly as young kids, they watched that and it had, you know, it, something that really struck them, you know, canine having his head. Yeah, it is a shocking
1: mm-hmm. scene. It <laughs> would have been yeah, for yeah, the kids. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, and that's what you want. You know, you, you want to make an impact.
2: It wasn't long before you started writing the Target novel for it as well. Was that a, especially, how, how did the Target novel come about?
3: That was, I was approached and I was asked uh, for permission for Terence to do it, Terence Dix. Uh, I said, "No, I'd like to do it, actually, please." Um, And I I was keen as well that it should be, you know, very close to the what was put on TV. Uh, Some of the the novels have gone away from that, and I also wanted it. I I also wanted to be quite a a rich text as well. Again, some of them have become a little bit light, Um, a little he said, she said. Uh, I mean, still still good books, but just just a little light from the Target novels I remembered. And then there was a there was a delay. Actually, it was a it was, it didn't come out for a couple of years after. Um, it was delayed for at least several months because there was a a writer strike, and I was I was with the Writers Guild, um, uh, and so that meant yeah, I didn't I didn't put pen to paper for a little while uh, because of that. And I th- I think it came out sometime in 1982, uh, but I was very pleased with it. I was I was extremely pleased with it, mm. you know. Quite a few years ago, I came back to it after decades of not having looked at it and my daughter asked me to read it to her as a bedtime story one night when she was little. And as I was reading it, I thought, again, just it was very fully to me and I just thought, it's just, it's just all right. <laughs> quite, I quite like this. Yeah.
2: It's, it's recently been released as an audio book with Matthew Waterhouse yeah. reading it and mm-hmm. uh, John Leeson. Have you, have you listened to the yeah. audio book of it?
3: I have. I've got it on the shelf behind me, actually. And I've, and I've got the electronic copy as well. And um very good. Yeah, yeah, very good. I Matt, Matthew does an excellent job um uh of reading it. And again, there's some nice sound design on it. Uh lovely stuff, yeah.
2: So when Full Circle was being recorded, were you able to come down to the recording? Did you actually get to meet the actors and people?
3: Yeah, I was um I was at all of it actually. Um I was at the uh the read through. Um I was at all three days of location filming. And um, I was at all the studio days as well. Um, yeah, and it was great. yeah, got to know. I hung, I hung out with um, the outlers, June and uh, Bernard and Richard. Uh, I remember Ber- Bernard and I particularly, I remember going up Sobo with him one time. and uh, yeah, we tended to have lunch together as well because we're around the same age. But yeah, chatting with you know, Tom and Lala and jo- George Baker was fantastic. Uh, you know, he was really good. He made a point of uh, j- chatting to me and um, I remember one time he he and the other Decider, um, uh, James and Alan, were, were going off setting upstairs and he saw me and went, oh, come, come over and have a chat. Just such a such a lovely guy. And he wrote me a lovely letter afterwards as well. Uh, it was very encouraging and very complimentary. So, yeah. And of course, I, I you know, I, I, knew him as an actor. He was very well-known in British television. I don't know how well-known he was in Australia, but uh, he played a character called Bowler on a a series of that name, but also a comedy series, uh, The Street Gang, which originally was something called Police Sir. I'm not sure if his character was in that. And he'd been in I, Claudius. And um, yeah, he was a very, very well-known actor. And And Richard Willis actually was someone I was so pleased when Richard was cast because he'd been in a, Uh, a children's drama quite a hard-hitting children's drama called the feathered serpent set in aztec times uh i knew him from that so for me that was that that was a choice casting for me actually i was so so pleased that he was in it i was such a fan of the feathered serpent but yeah i was yeah i was at all all the recordings so
2: all that cast now you've gone back now to write for again yeah, yeah. So have you had have you had more dealings with them, and yeah, did you meet them in the recordings in
3: the yeah. later on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, also not recently with the COVID. Um, most of it has been home recording, but yeah, I've been to the studio recordings of almost all uh, of the stories I've written. And it's funny when I was uh, the first one, and I've done quite a few for Tom now, and for Lala, uh, uh, and for Matthew as well, um, but. Um, yeah, the first one I did for Tom uh, was I thing called the Maebel for the Fourth Doctor Adventures, uh, and that was recorded at w- the Wardhouse Studios, which is out in the countryside. And it's only a forty-minute drive for me across country from from here. And um, I was driving down there, and you know what? I was thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm looking forward to this because Tom, Tom had been difficult back back in the, the full circle recording days. And uh, anyway, I got there and I think I was the last one to get there. I walked in the green room and Tom was sat by the door and, um, uh, and I introduced myself. I said, hello, I'm, I'm Andrew. I'm your writer. Anyway, oh, hello. hello." Uh, I said, um, you, you you probably won't remember me, but actually I wrote one of your TV stories back in 1980. And he said, oh, oh, I was terribly difficult back then. And I said, uh, yes, yes, you were. <laughs> and then, um, but then we got, we got on Brilliant. He was so good, and he is so good, and he still has so much energy. And what was nice as well was he knew the story so well. He's in the studio, and he knew the story so well. We are recording in the morning, and he's talking about looking forward to recording scenes with a certain character in the afternoon. And um, and he was so, so nice. And, you know, he's, he's become a lovely old cat. really. Um, you know, I, and I love that. The fact, you know, I was you Know a, a little bit in two minds, we down from that recording, and now I look forward to recordings with Tom very, very much indeed.
2: I was going to ask you whether he'd been particularly difficult in the studio because there was his reputation that last year.
3: He's temperamental, um, you know, I think it's all well recorded, but he, you know, he was temperamental and snappy. And I mean, actually, in the very first morning in the studio, uh, one of the first things we recorded was the TARDIS, the opening TARDIS scenes, and there was a scene where. K9 has to go around the TARDIS console. He goes around the back of it and out the other side. Uh, and actually, if you watch it again, what you'll notice is he comes out, his head, his, K9's head is really dipped down. That's because he kept going around and crashing into it. And um, uh, But there, there was a bit, well, I'll, I'll clean this up for you, but Tom was crouched there. It's about take three or something. He said, "I don't know why we have got the effing thing. It's got a, a, an engine like an effing massive Ferguson couldn't drive over a piece of effing cellar tape. And um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was first day in the studio with Tom Baker. But uh, you know, <laughs> he'd have these little, he'd have these comments to throw in from time to time.
2: So having done a big BBC show, and you did a few other bits of writing. In the end, you went to the police force.
3: Yeah, I did um I did the writing for uh four years and always had a contract and, and I yeah did a few dramas and um uh TV and radio and I did comedy sketch shows and uh I was one of the uh the, the staff writers on a show called Kick Up the Eighties, but I wrote things like Three of a Kind Sketch Show and I think called Not the Nine O'Clock News. Uh um after four years, there was a thing where I. I found it very solitary. And in, in fact, that is still a thing for me now where I'm, you know, I'm kind of proactively working at keeping the socialising going because, you know, this working from home thing is something that writers do all the time. It's, it's not a new thing for us, uh, but you need to work at actually socialising and meeting other people. And when that, that you know, it, it could be easy to just make that, you know, when, when you go to the studio or when you go to a writer's meeting or something like that. So I did find it very solitary. And also, you know, I was, this is where my age came into. I was very young with not much life experience, which doesn't help you as a writer. And then again, there was a thing I was just, I was really interested in the police. Um, And uh, they they got me with this career film at school. Uh, And I'd actually studied law for a while at Glasgow University specifically because I thought that would help with with a police application. So actually I applied to Strathclyde police who didn't take me. And then I, I, I found that very odd because I thought I'd done well at the exam and whatever. And, and I went in to see a superintendent that told me that I was, because I was 21 and single, I wasn't likely to stay. So they preferred people in mid-20s who were married, which I found out later was totally illegal against the sex discrimination, act. Because he told me I'd come top in the exam and I said, well, I was, I was wasting my time coming in and seeing them, wasn't I? So I wouldn't say that. I said, well, what else could I have done? And I came top and it still didn't take me. But that worked out for the best because then I applied to the Met in London. Um, and I got in there and I joined the Met in September 1984 and was there for a 30-year career. And I had a blast. Uh, it was it was amazing. Um, you know, a, re- a real mix, a lot of excitement, bit of world travel as well. And uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a bit. It was a great mix. I had those four years, and uh, and then had the the excitement, the companionship, and the security. But yeah, I, you know, I'd say a couple of proper adventures in there as well. Some some dodgy times, some risky times. But that, that's you know that's all part of the mix as well.
2: Have you ever written about that sort of time at all?
3: No, there's well, uh, I I wrote a thing. There's an original drama we did for Big Finish. Transference. Instance, and I wrote two episodes of that. And in that in particular, the, there's, uh, there's a couple of experiences of mine, including one, the characters doing a drugs raid, uh, where he tries to force his way into a room where the drug dealers are, and he gets stuck in the door, between the, jammed in between the door and the wall because the druggies are forcing the door shut. And one of them's got a carbon knife in his hand and is working up the courage to stab the character. Well, that happened to me. Um, that happened to me in, uh, it was, I think it was 1986. We're doing a drug trade on a couple of heroin dealers in Brixton. And uh, uh, yeah, I went through the door and got stuck. And I could see the guy sort of trying to work up the courage to stab me with this, with this knife. And so I was in plain clothes. We we went in mob handy, went through the door. We shouted police, we went through the door, but maybe they didn't hear it. Then someone behind me, as I was because I couldn't get into the room and I couldn't get out of the room, and I was just waiting to be stabbed. And then uh, someone behind me shouted, Old Bill, which, if you don't know, it's, uh, it's police. Someone shouted, Old Bill, and he looked at me oh, and dropped the knife. They thought we were punters coming out to do them over for the drugs, apparently. Well, that's what they said, uh, but yeah, so they hadn't hit, we hadn't shouted police loudly enough, apparently, when we came in the door, but that so that that was uh, a bit dodgy. There's a flying squad job I did as well where uh early hours of the morning went in to do a bit of business put a tracker on a car and we disturbed a dog and a guy came out looking for us with a torch and a shotgun um that was that was tasty but we got away and he didn't find us didn't we didn't know we were there in the end so uh but that was yeah that was a bit tasty but a great thing to get away with if you like you know
2: you should speak to jace there about doing an original with yeah you know, some of your experiences from the mets I mean, Transference is one of yeah. my fav- favourite shows. I mean, Alex Kingston is spectacular in
3: it. I, I, I love doing it. I You know, and I, 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 again, I don't want to put too much jargon in there, but there are some things in there, I think, if you're a police officer, that there are tons of phrase that, that people will get, and even things that aren't regularly used. E- even something like the Mavellon Grave, which is partly based at Scotland Yard, the, the Scotland Yard as it was a few years ago. And there were things I could do there, because I knew the building was going to be, that New Scotland Yard was going to relocate to the to the river, so there were things I could put in there, like for instance, the locations of the counterterrorism floors are w- where where they're said to be in in the story, and things like even even the restaurant and thing the layout of the building is is um, as it was. But Frank Skinner plays a detective chief inspector, and his central call sign is two four one one. That was my central call sign when I was on special branch surveillance. That's another thing. Actually, when numbers turn up in my scripts, uh, they, they're not random. I mean, there are things that we all use, like, you know, our daughter's dates, of birth, and things, but my warrant number and certain shoulder numbers that I've had. For instance, 166LD 1, was my first shoulder number on the vision when I was at Brixton. LD is Lima Delta, which um, uh, uh, that, that's Brixton, and that appears in the first and 166 Lima Delta is a, is a code to an encrypted communications channel. But two eight two eight two comes up because I was two eight two Zulu Delta at Croydon, and I was twenty six Lima Sierra at Streatham, so twenty six two eight two come up. One eight three one seven four is my warrant number, so that comes up or in whole or in part. Um, yeah, they they get recycled quite regularly those numbers. <laughs> so you
2: had a long end. Engaging career, which I'd love to hear more about, but we're not actually a podcast about the Met Police. It's not a police podcast, no. <laughs> but we, we, say we do know the term "the Bill" out here because the most popular program uh, for years was the Bill, right? Uh, on a yeah, which I'm sure. Well, my my cousin informs me it's got nothing to do with reality. And if people kept dying like that at any other station, you wouldn't work there.
3: <laughs> I um, the, very, the, very, the very first episode of the Bill. I watched that in the canteen at Hendon Police Training College. And there's a bit where Carver, the the new recruit, yeah, um, top. Woodensop. It might even have been Woodensop we are watching rather than the Bill. But there's a dr- there's a drunk, and Carver says, "I'll take you home." And all of us in the room went, "No!" <laughs> it's one of the first things you're told: never take a drunk home, never take a drunk home, never help a drunk drunker. Because what's going to happen? They're going to turn up in the morning. They're going to find that the twenty quid in the wallet is gone, and they're going to blame you for it. You know. Um, No, 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 you don't. You don't take a drop (laughs) then. Right. This whole room was just erupting (laughs) with it, you know.
0: It was in this trench. We removed five layers before we got to it. It was among remnants of clothing, also a small knife and a man's bracelet. The indications are that there was a violent event here, but our excavation has recovered genuine Iron Age relics. The discovery of this item, we can't explain it. Doctor, it's a Mavellan power pack. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Fourth Doctor Adventures, The Mavellan Grave.
3: <laughs> oh, the drone's moving! Something else is coming up!
0: Your people hunt. Please
3: put him down. Oh, no. What?
0: We've got to get back to the deer. Everyone on this planet is in the most terrible danger. Oh, come on. Ugh, I'd forgotten how cold you mavellans can be. You're serious, aren't you? If I can access these orders, we'll find out why mavellans were on Earth 2,000 years ago.
1: Big finish. We love stories. Were you keeping up to date with what was going on in the doctor who universe through the 90s or was that something off your radar were, uh, were, you, were you a book reader novel reader what was what was happening there
3: i, I did I, I didn't really read a lot of the novel i read a couple of the uh the new adventures ones that came out early on and I, they, they weren't for me i i they seemed very adult with mm. quite mature themes it would never have been or sorry my alexa just pinged there if you heard it but um uh yeah and there were things. I mean, it was fine, but they, they had things like like sexual content and things that just made it seem to me it just didn't seem very Doctor Who. And it worked, you know, it worked for most people and they saw well. It, it just for me wasn't. It didn't relate to the you know the kind of Doctor Who that I, that I wanted to read, frankly. Um, but I did otherwise, and actually, yeah, I, I was a I was a big Finnish fan uh, as well as a Doctor Who fan. I, I it was about 99 or 2000, and I was driving up to Scotland. Uh on the M6 stopped off at a service station, and I would always listen to an audiobook. Um, so I went in to have a look at the audiobooks they had, and there were these, oh my god, there were full cast Doctor Who audio is where the hell did these come from? I think. Uh Winter for the Adepts, Whispers of the Dead, I think were the first two that I got. Yeah. So they're you know, listening to like Colin and Peter. And Nicola and um I just thought, wow, this is great. They're, you know, they're doing they, they were just sitting in a audience. service station. Yeah, I was doing uh, WH Smith used to stack them at the time. I spoke to Jason about this. Yeah, it was fairly briefly the WH Smith stopped them actually. Um so I was lucky to find them, but that's how I discovered them very early on. And then I, I just got them all as they came out. I think they were coming out like one a month or something like that at the time. And uh, I remember being very annoyed, actually, a couple of years later when I, I, I was in Glasgow and coming down, I went into a bookstore to to get a couple to listen to on the drive back down to London. And all they had was, they didn't have the cassettes anymore, they, they had them on CD. I mean, so this is about 2001, and I thought, oh, who the hell has a CD player in their car, for God's sake? <laughs> and um, no one now. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, you, well, we don't even know them now, do we? But no, we, we been be and gone. <laughs> I was most aggrieved. So I bought, I think, Sword of Orion and Eye of the Scorpion. I got, and I was aggrieved because I had to take them home and then put them on the tape, uh, you know, transfer them to tape so I could listen to them in the car on the way down. But, um, yeah, I love them. I hoovered them up. Still some great stories. My Red Dawn is an early one that I still go back to. Uh, quite a bit to so so to. were
1: you putting feelers out with big finish at the time or were you just no. too busy with your work at that stage no
3: i was i um uh, for years I, w- I was on a uh national counterterrorism surveillance team and that was very unpredictable hours and the sort of thing i could go out i could leave home and say you know in the morning and say see you later and then my wife wouldn't see me for two weeks because we'd get put on to another job it's basically wherever the big CT job was in the country, we dealt with, we were the only armed counter surveillance team in the country at the time. I mean, there's loads of them now, but uh, we were the only one at the time. So we would be sent wherever the job was. Um, and that might mean being away from home for a week or a couple of weeks and and then there'd be another job. And and you might be on an early shift the next day or, you know, you might well do in London, but doing very long, long days and whatever. It was, it was was It was great. I mean, it was really exciting stuff, but... It was not a time at which I could have committed to to you know, delivering a script over a period of time because there were times I had very, very little spare time at all. But then what happened, uh, I was at a convention in Glasgow, up called Army of Guests, I, I think it was 2009. I think the DVD of Full Circle or the Space Trilogy had not long come out. And that's when I first met David and Nick. And David approached me about writing the first St. Terrence. Uh and Nick had a word with me about that as well, and uh,
1: and I asked him, my first reaction
3: to David was, oh, I don't know if the BBC would let you do that, because it's about the origins of the St. Terrence. but stupidly, kind of almost knocking it away, and then, uh, yeah, we stayed in touch, and then about a month, a couple of months later, David got in touch and asked if I'd like to write a companion chronicle, Set in Espace, which I did, which I, I suppose was testing me out, and so I did that and wrote this story, Invasion of Espace, uh, and that seemed to go down well. So then I, I wrote the First Centaurs, which I, 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 it's one of, remains one of my personal favourites, and I was so so glad to get to do that. And there were scenes I remembered having written for this thing that had been I'd been commissioned for it by by Eric Seward and then go into the scene breakdown stage, but then was replaced by the two doctors, so replaced by Robert Holmes. You know, you can't argue, but um, it was nice to come back to that. I had the scene breakdown, I had the storyline, and I, I, ch- I changed it quite a bit. Um, but we would have changed it anyway for TV. But there were things like there's a cop fight early on in 19, uh, you know, set in 1872, and the Doctor and Perry come across this illegal cop fight that's going on in in the woods, and I, I remember that as a scene that I'd come up with you know, back whenever it was, 83, I think it was. And um, so finally to be doing that and then sat in the studio and hearing it being acted out um, and acted out so brilliantly was was a real treat.
0: Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Lost Stories, The First Sontarans. Perry, I give you the surface of the moon. Oh. What is it? crash satellite or something we'll fetch it back to the tardis that's better yeah. what is it a relay to hide the true origin of the signal earth my name's jacob gilly i own the local tavern just what we need isn't it doctor what god love you sir oh well, is someone after you he tried to kill me who did what is it Look up! Good! Great! Sontaran scout ships! That's very close! If we run, we might just get to the TARDIS
3: in time! Lead away! Get
1: the
0: way. those fighters into space! Don't right get, down. get down! Yeah. Ah. Now hear this! This is Fleet Marshal Jaka. There is glory here, captains of the fleet. The order is full speed for Earth. We must remove this planet from space. Subscribers get more at BigFinish.com.
3: But uh, yeah, so that, 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 that's how I get into it, and then you know it's just carried on from there. So, how,
2: so, so, so with the first on Tyrant, how far had that
3: storyline got? Uh I wrote a storyline. I was uh, I was commissioned. I came down and saw Eric and we went for lunch and he commissioned it. He wanted a Santana story. So I, I wrote a storyline and the scene breakdown was commissioned from then. And they, the the storyline was a four parter that then became a two parter. They decided to do the two fifty minute episodes. So the scene breakdown I've got um is uh, a a two parter uh and that's the point at which they said no sorry we're not taking it the script and uh it was replaced by the, the two and times from robert uh from bob holmes um uh so yeah yeah that, that's how far that went how how
2: many scripts did
3: you get to that sort of point uh i, th- I think there was a bit of over commissioning going on at the time you told generally i mean i had also been commissioned but i was commissioned by by chris to do another story for season 19 called the Taurus and Triumvirate. And I don't have any documents for that. I remember very little about it, except it was set in present-day Earth. And again, there was an element of First and Tarnes, uh, as it originally was, of three parts of a device coming together. And I think that the Taurus and Triumvirate was about that. That got to the scene breakdown stage as well. Anthony Root came in, I think, before Eric, so before Eric was there, as script editor. And I think that was a point at which it went to that stage and then didn't go further. Because uh, they... they for whatever reason, I don't remember getting any any feedback on it except that, you know, they had the other stories for that season. Um, yeah, so it happens. But there was quite a bit of over. I think under John's uh, producership, there was quite a bit of over commissioning went on. So they they get a few storylines, scene breakdowns, and uh, take their pick from what they had.
2: So the invasion of E space brought Lala Ward back. Did you go to the studio and meet her again?
3: Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was there for that. Her and uh, Sue Brown um yeah that was good that was at the Moats, where you know having um where, where again you get the famous uh big finish lunches uh and, and they are as, as good as a reputation toby does a great job at the other studios as well you get a nice lunch but the that's a toby uh a toby lunch at the moat is uh is very good even the dog dog it's imagining the, the big finish lunch and it's uh Yapping away. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. And then, and
2: then, so had you met Nicola and Colin before when you did this last Taron?
3: Yeah, actually, uh, yes, I met uh, Nicola and Colin at that convention I mentioned in Glasgow, actually. Uh, and we chatted quite a bit then. And, uh, and in fact, yes, when I was commissioned to write for Big Finish, I said to David, I'd like to come into a studio recording just to see the setup and how practically you do it, because that does have an impact on how you write the script, Um, including things like how many people you have in a scene, that kind of thing. Because the the studio, once you get above a certain number, for instance, it it can be a little bit problematic because everyone's got their own booths and there's a limited number of booths. Although, again, you can have quite a few characters in a scene, but... um, And the story I came in to do was one of Nev's and I can't remember the title. (laughs) I'm ashamed to say. Uh it has the name of the alien in it, and that's what I'm struggling on, but it's a something paradox, and it's a brilliant, brilliant story. Um Piscaton. Piscaton paradox. And um Pescaton, is that right? the Pescatons is up there. Sorry. Um I'm sorry. Like the- your <laughs> listeners i'm sorry Nicola. i'm really really sorry but um yeah
2: we've had yeah. Nev on we, we, the program and talked about it so i hope i've got it right
3: all right right yeah yeah but um uh there's a Nev's a Nev's a good friend he'll be all right but um uh so i came in for that and, and was chatting to them again there so we you know so nickel and i had met at the convention and, and and nev was at nev was at the convention as well and then we met again in the studio um, and then for the first time we got to know each other quite well and I'd kind of go around their place which was just around the corner pretty much from the studio at that time uh, and then then we'd go in together that was really good oh I tell you what they did a lovely thing Colin uh, and Nicola when I was doing that my, my older daughter then was eight and she was watching me write this thing and she decided to write her own Doctor Who script at the age of eight and uh, I mentioned this to Nicola on day one and she said oh bring it in i'll read it i said yeah all right okay and it was about eight pages it's four part story over eight pages and it was doctor who meets florence nightingale and uh so i brought it in and nicola read it i said you don't need to read the whole thing that's all right and then colin read had a look at it and said let's do it get your camera out so i got my camera out and filmed them the two of them performing this script and i've still got it and it's great dan starkey was there as well watching on and uh, and the rest of the cast. And so they did it. And, and Colin did the theme music for the the cliffhangers and that in between episodes as well. And that was great. And then I brought it back and put it on the computer and said to my daughter, Come and watch this. And she watched. And there's like Colin and Nicola performing her script. So I said, There you go. I had Doctor Who. I wrote Doctor Who and got it performed by the Doctor when I was uh, 18. You've done it at eight. And I've got a love, I've got the video of her watching it, and she's like, <laughs> oh, it was great. It was such a lovely thing for them to do as well. That's awesome. Really, really good. <laughs> lovely. Yeah. yeah. Two lovely people. As long as you didn't oh, tell yeah, your daughter yeah. that
1: Big Finish had already done the Doctor Meeting Florence Nightingale. Uh
3: nah, nah. But well, actually, um funny enough, the the thing I had to change when I wrote Frost and Sirens is initially uh the Mary Celeste was um or the Mary Celeste rather was a, a big element of the story. And no one at the time, independent, and I didn't, have any knowledge that the Mary Celeste had already featured in the Chase years before. Um, uh, So that was one thing that had to go. The Mary Celeste in that storyline becomes basically the Orbiter that's now in the audio, the audio version. Hmm.
2: Hmm. So after a couple of Doctor Who's, you then wrote a Blake Seven, the Battleground. How did you? Are you were you a keen Blake Seven fan as well?
3: Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I really enjoyed that. Um, And that was a thing again, because I suddenly found myself there are all these things that the the Blake Seven catchphrases, you know, down and safe, uh, or even Zen saying, confirmed, you know, uh, uh, I just thought it was was great. And again, I had one of those moments when I went to the studio and there was Paul Darrow and Gareth Thomas, you know, as Avon and Blake performing the lines. And yeah, that, no that 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 was really good. I, I I really enjoyed that. And then we got Dan back on board for that as well, doing a fantastic job as a as a guest character. A nasty piece of work, Dan Starkey. Um, yeah, th- thoroughly enjoyed that. That was a, that was a lovely series to be a part of as well. It was a, it was a lovely continuing arc. And uh, Mark Platt, Mark, who I've got to know well, he he wrote the story after mine. and our two stories were linked because they were both on this battleground planet. Um, and he he picked up very nicely from things I I'd, I'd set up there, yeah yeah enjoyed that. It was really good to come on board with Blake Seven.
2: So at what point have you realised that you've now got a huge career as a writer starting again?
3: Uh well it was well I'd, yeah I don't know it was just uh, it was nice to keep being asked to do it and and I was doing it at the same time. Fortunately I was then in a, in a place in policing that I could actually because I was I become a detective inspector then a, a, a chief inspector and uh and i had you know long hours at times but you, you know when things like people try to blow up aircraft in detroit on christmas day which kind of you know ended my christmas on christmas evening that year but i I did generally have more control over my time and i could actually commit to the script so generally i would be out doing the policing job and the ct job during during the day and then write, writing at night And uh, it was just really enjoyable. And working for Big Finish is enjoyable. Um, And again, you're writing things that you know are going to be produced as well. They're not going to be in development, you know, and and audio is nice. And I found this writing for radio back in the day as well, radio drama. um, It's nice because there's some excellent creative people involved, but not quite so many uh, who can kind of alter, you know, kind of where you're going with it. And, it, and big finish is so friendly as well because it's you know I've made so so many friends through it as well, uh, you know. And there's a particular social circle. There's myself and another bunch of big finish riders. who are on a on a WhatsApp group and chip into each other from from time to time. We meet up. A bunch of us went to see Louise Jameson in the Mousetrap uh, in the West End earlier this year. Uh, you know, we do things like that. And We had Zoom so you know zoom socials during lockdown and, and what have you it's a very very friendly family a big finish and it's 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 a quite a big family these days as well and a busy one
2: well, it's getting bigger all the time
3: <laughs> yeah you're gonna yeah, make yeah. philip
1: yeah. cry talking about the mousetrap he'd love to see that
3: oh it's i i'd seen i'd seen it before years and years ago and i'd forgotten how much fun it is and i rec i highly recommend people go and see it it was it was a lot of fun and louise was it of course she was
2: yeah i've, I've seen the mouse trap
3: uh, about mm-hmm. 15 years ago
2: on the west end yeah, yeah but um yeah i would have loved to see louise in it but i last i I, mm. no, I, did, I saw lou a couple of years ago playing miss marple in oh Arizona. yeah yeah yeah, it was yeah announced.
3: I mm.
2: so yeah i have seen her on stage and she's amazing on stage just
3: love taking was that in the uk or did she tour it in australia U- uk uk right yeah
2: she came out she came out to australia and um i organized her to for the doctor who club she did a performance of her
3: oh Oh, my gay best friend no
2: no the one about the the beauty the um facelift oh it's called it's a a big fish original too
1: yeah yeah is it pulling faces
2: pulling faces thank you all right yeah 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 so she did a performance of Pulling Faces for the Doctor Who Club mm-hmm. of Australia. So that was the first time. It was interesting because I'd organised for her to come out. And she said, well, you're producing this now. This is the list of things I need on stage. And so she's sending me the props she needs. And so I'm running around, organising all these props and a dress, a drawer, right, right. a mirror, and <laughs> having to set up the whole thing. Um, yeah, did a bit of stage handling. Oh, and again, of course, she's
3: directing, though, as well. Yes. Um, in fact, yeah, she did, she directed a Believe 7 of mine yeah escape from destiny and uh and recently uh directed uh war doctor begins which yes. uh yeah yeah
2: we can't talk about all your work because it's just too vast <laughs> now in terms of you're it's just pure, there's a
3: few no. yeah, yeah
2: i Yeah, th- have you hit 50 i mean you're coming up on the website as about 64 I don't, I don't
3: i don't i don't think so i think maybe Must- more than 40s some of like that yeah
2: okay you should be keeping count so you know when you hit number Well, oh i've
3: got i've got most of them here <laughs> oh times i did enjoy time slip star oh star cops oh that was great i got um, i edit star cops as well it's good to edit that which uh, that that's a particular pleasure of mine well, And, tell and survivors, t- survivors. T- oh. Well, yeah.
2: t- tell us about star cops firstly you you just raised that what do you like? Yeah, so,
3: well, Star Cops, uh was a favourite series of mine. It ran for one series on the BBC back in 1987, and it, but it's about um, it's it's about policing in space, basically. But it's the approach to it is kind of to make it real, as if it's like real policing in a real environment. In uh, so there's a moon base and there are space stations and. Uh, and things, but the, the sci fi trappings uh, are few and far between. I mean, the, the space stations are generally how we think they'd be 40 years from now, 40 years from 1987, and now we see generally 40 years in the future, but most of them have not got artificial gravity. Uh, the stories don't deal with aliens or like fast-than-light drives or anything like that, the usual trappings. The, the Star Cops do have a version of laser guns, which is. I think it's a little bit odd given the, the concept, but it's established in the TV series. Um, but for Star Cops, I would say to the the coming in, first and foremost, these are police procedurals. They're investigations, they're they're murder mysteries, and that that kind of thing. Problem, and it's about the police investigating and problem solving and finding the murderer or whatever. Um, and it, it's just, it, you know, it's a really lovely setting, and. Uh, I'm just, I, I just love the work that the writers and everyone have done on it um, just some really good strong stories and the reception it got was re- really really rewarding it, it went you know it's gone down really well um, and it's, it's something I'm, I'm especially proud of I think and we got the original cast back and it has one of the best characters played by Trevor Cooper Davis Colin Davis it's just every time he opens his mouth, he just comes out with, he puts his foot in it, he upsets people, he's just so direct. We, we torn down some of his sexism and outright misogyny from the, the TV series. Um, but he's just a fantastic character to put words in his mouth. He just and makes you
1: giggle it. all the way through.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've had, we have had some really, really good, uh, characters, uh, actors, uh, take, take part in that as well
1: being a Chris Boucher creation did um did you consult much with him or is he just handed it over I,
3: I wasn't touching it but it's one of those things you know he, he um he, he signed off on it and uh was quite happy for us to do what we wanted with it I I was really keen to to keep to the ethos the Chris Boucher ethos for the series and in fact for this the second we did us um a two a two box set uh, arc called Mother Earth and but for the, the next set which was really our, our second series box set three and four really our second series um, I suggested and we went with it we went to Mars with a cops and that is what Chris was going to do if Star cops had got a second TV series um, and then he sent in a lovely email to David that David forwarded just saying how much uh, he enjoyed what we'd done with it how impressed he was uh, and that you know that was a a, a lovely things to hear a lovely thing to read
1: was it yeah. actually a full tv series it was nine episodes was. a very strange number it, of episodes yeah i think
3: yeah i think it did nine there was going to be ten but one of the uh, yeah i think it's nine episodes in the end they were going to do ten but they lost the last episode because of industrial action yeah and a caught co- an, an australian actor in the series as well linda newton who we did we didn't have at first uh, um we had uh trevor cooper and david Calder as Davis and Nathan Spring. Nathan Spring is the, the head of the Star Corps. Uh, and David's an amazing actor. Oh. But um, but Linda played a character called Pal Kenzie, one of the Star Corps, uh, but she wasn't on board. We didn't know how to get in touch with her. And then there was a Star Corps book being written, uh, uh, an excellent book being written. Uh, and I think Trevor had been contacted for that. And I forget quite how, but but through that we got, you know, a message to Linda, and she, yeah, she was very keen to be involved. Um, so she had a couple of cameo appearances in the the first box set, uh, and those were recorded in Australia. And then she came over and was in the studio for the, for, the, for the for the remaining sets, uh, which is fabulous. And and the, the cast are just so engaged and obviously so fondly remember the time on Star cops and, uh, I, again, I've been so complimentary about the stories, the scripts, and how their characters are served by by the writers. Uh, yeah, I'm extremely fond of it, and I'm, I'm so pleased it went down so well. I get, I get to do some police writing as well. And, again, there was a, yeah, I mean, there, there's a couple of things in there. there. There's a friend of mine who's an undercover officer who went, uh, you know, he's, he's in, in this... Uh, gang and and he was taking for dinner with some people including someone whose job was actually security within the group and he said this guy stared at him all the way through the meal, and he was sure he'd been made uh but it was just a test that this guy did he just the new guys he just stared them out and try and put them under pressure and get them to react and uh that was something i added into the very first episode of that actually um so there's a little thing little things here and there that, that will come into stories. Whenever there's policing, there's always something I'll kind of pull out the bag, just add a little bit of verisimilitudes. Or, or just for myself, just something I know is kind of based in reality.
0: Here it he comes. Get ready. This will make your fillings rattle.
3: As the actress said to the bishop, Davis. From
0: Big Finish Productions, Star Cops, Mars, Volume 1. It's a pleasure to welcome the International Space Police Force to Mars. Mars really is quite spectacular anything useful about a few stories of water thefts and the colonies we're pretty much at the furthest point from the colony now for now this is the extent of our empire you've got the same message whatever happened to gary rice there's been another water theft i remind you nathan you are here to advise only we should do what i've said all along and sling all tourists off this base and off of mars anyone behind Kinsey? i can't see anyone yet I don't like this, Nathan. Neither do I. We have nothing to hide. Not even Gary Rice. Who? She's also very dead. Well, that's a right bloody mess. You know as well as I do. If we leave the Star Cops to keep poking their nose in, then we'll be caught. You'll put that helmet on and you'll come with us. Or I'll keep hold of it and I'll open the hatch. Yeah, yeah. Air supply low. No need to keep on bleeping about it. Be careful, that ground's going to give warning. Where was that? We're losing power. The engine's shutting down. Brace yourselves! No so good. we will never make it.
1: Big finish. We love stories.
3: I like you, Kenzie. You're a psycho. Marry me?
1: Sorry, there's mm. just one more I wanted to mention. Um, mm. Was uh, Time Slip? You wrote uh, Time Slip oh, as yeah, well. Oh yeah. Were you, were you a fan of that series? And oh, the interesting oh, approach yeah. that you've taken in in sort of uh, not not rebooting the series as such for audio, but sort of continuing it on.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah, and that was something when David Richardson uh, came to me and Mark with the idea, that, that was kind of the idea. It's Benson and Cheryl would play the older versions of their characters, Les and Simon, from, uh, from the series back in the 70s, and then we'd have these new, new characters who would be the, the, the younger ones. Uh, yeah, I was a huge fan of Time Slip. Uh, in fact, there's a there's a cliffhanger in the second story, the time of the ice box. It terrified me much more than um, any Doctor Who cliffhanger. And if anyone knows time slip, they know the one I'm talking about It's where the character ages, and it was so terrifyingly done. But yes, yeah, a very simple concept. You know, two two teenagers who discover this time barrier, they can just get down their hands and knees and crawl through it and finish up in, in a different time, and even in a you know in a different location. And they made future versions of themselves or older versions of the uh, younger versions of the parents. Um, uh, and that when I revisited the stories, you know, ahead of writing it, I just thought incredibly gripping. And it was lovely. Yeah, I wrote a, uh, yeah, a six-part story called the, the, the Age of the Death Lottery. And uh, yeah, that was such a pleasure to write. And when I did the outline you know, my very first rough outline, of the six episodes, I'd always say roughly, right, we're going to do this in that episode, this in that one, that one, that one, that one. And I don't think about anything. And a six parter usually would be problematic, but I've never had anything that just came out so smoothly right away. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, you know, in terms of the, the death lottery, the idea of it is it's in the future. It's at a time when the population's got to the stage where they actually run a lottery to cull members of the population. To keep the numbers down and uh and I went into that about a bit of rationale for it. why would people accept it what you know what checks and balances would they have to ensure that people didn't just try and do a runner or people didn't try and substitute themselves for loved ones and all that kind of thing worked it all through and then yeah came up with a story I was really pleased with and then we have Sarah Sutton come in to do a character again who, who has kind of she has a future version of herself and she actually had a scene where she acts with herself which i think is one of the most impressive acting thing jobs i've ever seen done uh maybe anywhere that might just big finish but anywhere uh yeah I, I in fact when she was considering the role she was sent that that scene and then she she read it and um then came on board and i'm so so glad so so glad she did Again, doing something different from Nyssa. People who don't know Sarah Sutton played Nyssa and Doctor Who and in big and in you know, for Big Finish. And she actually was turned up in a in a star cops of mine called Hostage. And again, she was just excellent in it. Yeah. I hope, you know, I uh oh yeah, I yeah, I hope Sarah does more of my stuff as well. She's so so good, such a good actor. But yeah, Time slip. big, big fan of it. I was so, so pleased that Big Finish uh, came around right to doing it.
2: Now, another series you've had a lot to do with from the very start and continue to do so is The Survivors. So h- how did you end up coming to write for The Survivors? And and, and you've actually played a very very um, pivotal role in terms of a lot of major storylines and driving the plots. So was the another passion of yours?
3: Yes. Yeah, I, I remember Survivors first broadcast very, very well. Um, it made a huge impression on me at the time. I'd have been about 13 or 14 when it's going out. Uh, yeah, the involvement was as usual, it was, it was an email from, Big Finish, from from David Richardson and I was absolutely delighted to get on board with that and uh, yeah, bit, and that was another one, kind of like when Linda Newton getting involved with Star Cops initially we didn't have Carolyn Seymour uh, we were in touch with her to play Ivy Grant, one of the lead characters and, and then yeah, I think we'd written the storylines just about the script and then uh somehow uh, contact was made with Carolyn, or Carolyn made contact because she'd heard about it and was very keen to be on board, and I was asked to write a new scene introducing my episode, which was the third episode of the first box set called Judges, um, where uh, Jenny and Greg, uh, Ian McCulloch and Lucy Fleming, are going off to London and they're saying goodbye to Abby, um, played by Carolyn. Uh, and then that was the very first thing recorded. I'm pretty sure uh, for Survivors at all, a big finish uh, ahead of everything else. So it was great. It was great to you know to be able to write a scene with all three of those characters, but then you know take it forward and have uh, you know Greg and Jenny. Uh, and it is Survivors. I would say is my favourite Big Finish gig. I enjoy it all, but Survivors. Survivors is one of those things. I think where it's particularly compelling, I don't know if there's any other series like it for, if you listen to it, you think, how would I do in that situation uh, if all the trappings of modern life are taken away? And I remember listening, it, you know, the first time I listened to it, I was walking around Croydon, it was a big town in South London, and there's buses and cars, there's aircraft in the sky, there's, you know, electric powered things all around you. think if all those things are gone what would you do and and how would you how would you do would you be a good survivor you know or would you just get depressed or succumb would you just let others trample all over you um you know would you be positive you know would you succumb basically yeah how would you do would would you be able to just go back to basics um and there are a lot of moral uh issues that, that face people and survivors as well and also some of the most tragic things happen to people as well i mean God, we put those characters through hell and we're continuing to do it with the new stuff that's coming up it's so bleak uh, uh, it's good and i've just been asked to do a lovely thing. i mean it was great when you know when uh, greg came back into the series uh i, I think series six i did an episode called lockup and that you know that was so nice and we had to, Abby and Greg meeting up, which they hadn't been able to do in the, in the TV series because Abby is only in series one. Um, yeah, and I think my, actually my all time favorite scripts for Big Fame, actually, and, and it's not just the scripts, but how they were produced and acted as well uh, from series five of big, um, Survivors, where I wrote episode one and episode four of a story where the death, this plague, this pandemic, uh, came back. For a while, and people started dying from it again. And I actually did a lot of research there into bacteria and viruses and how they change and how there are different strains. All this stuff that is kind of common knowledge now, and you know, stuff that can be seen under a microscope and can be seen under a microscope. And and actually, the evolution of a virus uh, was key to to that. But it was a story of kind of a, a typhoid Mary character or Carol Baker, who's a, a nurse who actually infects people without being in without having symptoms herself and Need mackintosh played that character just amazingly and there's a scene towards the end of episode one i can't i won't describe it case anyone wants to go It's too spoilery but it was brilliantly done brilliantly acted it sends a chill through me every time i hear it and ken bentley did a fantastic job directing it and just let it go on just a nice length of time to just really chill the bone and
2: working with another character who i really loved
3: it's yeah, a, yeah yeah it's, a, it's an
2: awful it's an awful scene and I was very upset oh. <laughs> I wasn't happy with it was of when we finished recording
3: it when we finished recording it I mean I it was just quiet and we just looked at each other and like, oh my god <laughs> wow <laughs> she will take a moment yeah, yeah yeah
0: coming soon from Big Finish Productions Survivors Series 5 It's a new strain, an evolution of the virus that almost wiped us out in the first place.
3: It's the death. It's back.
0: This is a matter of life and death. I've seen entire communities destroyed by this epidemic. The angel of death, that's where you are! Ow! Ow! And the reason I'm staying back here is... I might be infected, too. All those first steps rebuilding society, everything we've achieved in the past two years, years—all it's all for
3: nothing. Every place that woman passes through, same pattern. She spreads infection, there's illness, death. Then those that can walk just abandon their homes.
0: A greater purpose awaits you. Your sacrifice will be our saving. I can't believe it, Craig. The death... It's come back. Big Finish. We love stories.
2: I'd, I'd like to think we'd do, we'd do better than they did. But having seen how people reacted
3: with... Talk- well, we see, I, think we, I think the strap line um, we usually got on the blurb for these is that, you know, after the death, because de- people don't know the survivors, is, but a pandemic that wipes out like 99.9% of the population. Uh, so we've lost all the trappings of normal life. Although. Some of them are coming back in the new series that we're doing. Uh, but, um, uh, yeah, uh, you know, so very few of the population survive, and it's, it's about how, you know, how they survive. But the strap line we use is that, yeah, some of the, the best of humanity has survived, but some of the worst of humanity as well. And there's just nasty, nasty characters around who do nasty, nasty things to people. Usually Adam grant and, and Jenny Richards. <laughs>
2: So after it's been, what, four or five years since the last box set, and now there's two not more coming out? Uh,
3: yeah, Series 9. I'm not sure when we did that. Uh, yeah, maybe four or five years ago. Um, but yes, uh, and I'm, I'm script editing the, the new lot. They're, they're all recorded. They're, they're in the can. They're done. Uh, it's called Survivor's New Dawn, six episodes. Uh, and it's 20 years after the death. It's 15 years after the events of Series 9. And uh, society is beginning to come together again. There's a, there's a government of sorts in, established in Cambridge. And there's even in the UK, there's a general election in the uh, looming to kind of, you know, to reestablish proper democracy. Uh, there, are, there are occasional air flights. They're not that common, but they're, they're done, mostly run by by the government. There's international flights as well. And there's some contact between you the UK and Europe, for instance. Uh, but the world gen- gradually is getting back on its feet. So some of the trappings of civilization are coming back. Uh, but there are still those nasty elements out there. Uh, and uh, some people prepare to do nasty things. I-, I can't wait for people to hear it. So, uh, yeah, New Dawn one. You know, at the time recording, this is the 18th of October, and it's uh, it's coming out next month, so November 2021.
2: Uh, yeah. Should be
3: great. Now, you've also been doing some Space 1999. Oh, no, that was another... You know, like, you know there's so many times I've had these emails where I just go, oof, oh, yes, Starcourts was one. Uh, well, actually, most of them, I think Time Slip. Oh, my God, Bob Blake Sevens. So it, make, make it every single one I've ever been asked to do. John Hurt as a war doctor. Oh my god! Um, but Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. Yeah. Oh, I remember that so fondly. I, I remember the first episode watching it going. I'd read the novelization before I saw it. I remember. I remember newspaper two, three page spreads about it uh, coming up, and it was a huge thing. I mean, it was one of the most expensive series ever made at the time as well. And uh, I even got my little. My little dinky eagle here. Hello. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've actually got another um another one of these uh, downstairs, which is done by Eagle Moss, which is in the proper kind of livery. It's a nice little thing It sits on a plinth, little, a little stand rather. That's a lovely little model that they've just started doing. But but that yeah, that's another thing of um, yeah, you just something about Moonbase Alpha and Commander Koenig and um computer and all. And the eagles, the eagle transporters, are, of which they seem to have a never-ending supply. I mean, it's a moon base with about 300 people on it, and they've got these eagles that blow up, two or three of them blow up in every episode. Every episode. There's more of them There's more of them come around the corner next week. Uh, yeah, that was good fun. And I was asked to come up with two, because it was a mix of uh, reworkings of TV episodes and uh, original stories, and I was asked to write two original episodes for the uh, for volume one. So, Nick had done the excellent Breakaway, uh, which is a, a reworking of the, the pilot episode of Space 1999 that came out as an individual release and did extremely well, quite rightly. Um, so, yeah, then I was asked to do these two original episodes, uh, which is, yeah, really, really, really good fun to do. Pinching myself, yeah, yeah, I'm doing Space 1999. And, uh, we, we yeah.
2: recently we recently chatted with pamela salem and of course she came back oh, to yeah. do your, your episode um tool and poos so tool and, tool
1: and poos. Tool... Get, it <laughs>
2: right, cool. get it right get it right <laughs> um and yeah, she she commented on your script when we spoke to her and how, and how much she loved coming back to do it so once again you know another side step you managed to do there as well
3: yeah Oh yeah, 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 and again, robots of death is one of my all-time favorites. Um, and that was yeah, pulling t- that was a great one to do. That was a, that was another one that was done as like a an investigation.
2: That's a, it's a cop show, two-hander uh, cop show. Yeah, yeah, it is.
3: And yeah, who's who's the killer? And I was uh, yeah, I was really pleased. I quite like the clues. I left lying around on that one. Uh, and what was nice, It kind of stands alone. It didn't it it didn't really link in too much with all the other stuff that's been on in Caldor. No, it's, just, it's very it's much a standalone thing. episode. Yeah, it, it tied in more to the fourth Doctor story I've done, uh, The Sons of Kaldor with the Robots of Death, um, which is uh, an, another one. I've got very fond memories of that one. Yeah. They're, they're all fond memories, I think. You know. Oh, I know.
2: I mean, I, I don't think we lucky I not worked for. I mean, I'm surprised um, I thought Dwayne might have raised um, Return to Scarrow as well, because I know that's one of his favourites.
3: Oh, who, who's that, sorry?
1: Me, that's a Return to Scarrow, is uh, all right, yeah. all one of my Scar- favourites. I think it was the, 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 the not not only the script but the sound design. The whole package on that was just absolutely incredible. Really it was talent. Howard Carter, wasn't it? It was just unbelievable sound design that just brought that to life. It was yeah. it was all good.
3: The sound designers don't get enough credit. I, I agree. I agree. Any, have you interviewed any of the sound designers? You should. Benji. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, they did just do an amazing job. And it and I I've absolutely no idea how they do it. But uh yeah, yeah, fantastic job. Return to Scar Award. Yeah, again, writing for uh, David Bradley and the original TARDIS crew was quite something. And if again, talking about my you know my favorite scripts, The Barbarians and the Samurai, which is the first first Doctor story I did. Uh I I do love that. I'd actually written a storyline uh that submitted to Eric uh saber back in the day of a doctor who called the dark samurai and the barbarians and the samurai lifted up quite a bit of that the dark samurai had a sci-fi element to it eric had said oh, it would be far too expensive to do and i think he was right i'd seen shogun and uh red shogun by james Clavel, and i'd um i I'd just got a little bit overboard with it i think but we could do it on audio and it's a pure historical and i, I love it to bits and we had a japanese cast and again they were very complimentary i mean the the I, I like my research, I love my research, but on that one i go I went to town and almost every single page of the script I thought, oh hang on right they're going in a kitchen. what kind of door will they have what will the floor be like? what kind of utensils will they have because you' got you've got to describe the ambience again for the sound designers you know and you know c- c- what kind of implements would they have what would they have on the floor so and I remember spending three or four hours studying up on these things called tatami mats uh that's Japanese flooring and finding out that on auspicious occasions, they they have to alter the, the layout, the tatami mat, all that sort of thing. You know, for any other story, you'd be fine. But just thinking, right, they're going through a door here. What kind of door would it be? They're in a dungeon. What kind of door would it be? A cage? What would it be? You know, and would, would they, they had to make a bomb and it'd be right. What, what precursors could they have? And, Japan in the 19th century because they're shut off from the rest of the world. And, um, and I'm, I'm because of my time in counterterrorism, I know a lot about explosive precursors and I was going through things that I knew and they, they wouldn't possibly have had access to any of it. But I, then I found a way that they could potentially manufacture black powder. So I, I went with that. But so, so much research, but I was so pleased with it at the end of the day. And it was nice that the Japanese cast were so complimentary about it as well. That's what, that's what, I tell you what, that's what I, if I say to people, I, you know, uh, someone said, you know, which of your stories would you like me to listen to? I think that's one I'd say I'd, yeah, yeah, I'm kind proud of that one, yeah
0: Coming soon from Big Finish Productions Doctor Who, The First Doctor Adventures, Volume 2 What's happening? A uh, uh, slight miscalculation, that's all Where have you come from? beyond the mountains? You could say that. Very far beyond. <gasps> Fascinating. There is someone over there, they can't be dangerous. They've got a kite! No one dangerous flies kites. What is that strange plumage that grows from your head? What well, this, uh, it, it's called hair. A strange yeah, yeah, yeah. plumage? Of all the nerve, I'll have you know this is the height of fashion. A game? What have you done? What have you done? Up there at the top of the hill, people on horseback. Is that armor? Those are Japanese samurai. A cabinet of some kind, a Kaiser. Why should it be here? Strange. Summon the samurai. Yeah! Going by their armor, I'd say we're in the... 18th or 19th century And that's very bad for us Why? Because in this time Foreigners are banned from Japan And the penalty for being caught here is death This is monstrous Son You have disobeyed me They will die Rifleman, take aid The further we travel away from Earth The less chance there is of this working There is literally no time Like the present, or In this case, uh, the past or do I mean the future? Well, there's only one way to find out. Now, Doctor. Big finish. We love stories.
2: So when you, when you get a when you get an idea or when you get told what you're going to do, it sounds like you do a lot of research first, a lot of planning. Does, 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 yeah. the script, does the script just come after you've done your research? Do you just sit down and just write? It just
3: flows? Or? Oh, that'd be nice. Oh, that'd be lovely. <laughs> I wish. No, it's, it's like you... Um, so I, tell you, I, t- I said time slip, actually. The, the layout of that came to me fairly quickly. And that what Yeah, writing that wasn't too bad. But there are others. The quest of the engineer was one. Because it was quite an unusual environment, it's kind of a planet-sized ship with all these shifting compartments and things, the geography of it was a bit of a problem. And I had a th- I'd, I'd got about two thirds of the way through the fourth episode. And I had a real problem with how I was going to actually get things to happen the way I wanted them to happen, the way I'd put them in the storyline. I finished up having to throw out about 4,000 words. I went back to almost the beginning of episode three and totally changed it. Um, and that cost me a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of discarding words. For every script, I've got a document called Cut Bits. Because I always when I cut a scene, I always I'll dump it in that Word document because I might want to go back to it and nick lines and whatever, or I might want to put it back. And for that, I think I had a, I had a cut bits document that was almost as long as a script. Uh, it was oh, thousands and thousands of words, uh, but it was worth it. It was worth it. I was really pleased at the end, but that was problematic. Uh, so, yeah, sometimes sometimes it comes fairly easily. Uh, but a script is, often, a lot of it is problem-solving. Um, I mean, early on, with the amazing of East Space, I had to get Romana and Adric off of a ship that's just about to go through a CVE, and I had to get a reason for them to want to leave and a method for them to leave. And that took me three or four days. And I, and I was scribbling things down in paper and throwing them on the floor. And, and one of those things, when you see what happened, you think, well, that's fairly straightforward. But it's only straightforward after you've actually come up with a solution. Um, the opening scenes of uh, Domain of the that one of my early ones as well, that took me two or three days of going at it. And I started in the TARDIS initially, and it's, it's hard to see why it was a problem. Uh, and again, when you see the final product, you think, well, that seems fairly obvious the way to do it. It's only obvious because that is kind of what I did at the end of the day, and it was the best solution. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, there are problems there. But I do, I do like my research. I do like to be accurate. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what, there is... I don't know what to mention. It. Oh, I'll mention it. There was a thing where I'd, I mentioned this original drama, Transference, and I'd written a thing. A police officer goes to visit someone and mentions, uh, and he wants to talk to them about his car, and he, he mentions the, um, uh, the registration number, the licence number of the car, the number plate, and it was written just as the letters. Do you own a vehicle? Let's like, say... Um, AFM-123B. And I wasn't at that recording. And someone decided he's a police officer, so he'll do this in the phonetic alphabet. And, well, one thing, if I'd been there and I said, no, he wouldn't, he's speaking to a member of the public. Police officers don't speak phonetic alphabet to members of the public. What they do do, though, if they use it, they get it right. So I'm listening to this, and I've got the character saying, do you own... Uh, vehicle Alpha Foxtrot. Uh, um, I'm trying to think what they did because I, I know the re- well, it should be Alpha Foxtrot Mike One Two Three B, and it it, it was came out as Al- Alpha Foxtrot Mother One Two Three B, and I thought <laughs> like, they got they got the phonetic alphabet wrong. And I've tried to track this down. I've actually spoken to people over there In fact, there's a, a, f- a friend of mine who's one of the actors, and I was trying. Where did this come from? How did it happen? He couldn't remember. Someone shipped in with it be phonetic alphabet, and then they got the phonetic alphabet wrong. And again, for someone who loves his research, and I, again, there's a thing people are going to think I wrote that as Alpha Foxtrot Mother, you know, one two three B. But um, uh, you know, that's just about, these things happen. You know, but but I do I do like to get things right. Uh, so I, I wrote a third doctor story, Storm of the Facts, and I did an awful lot of research into the Navy. And the, the language, the opening scenes have got like depth charges being launched. They don't call them depth charges, they call them mortars. And there's a particular language around that that i wanted to get right. Another story, Vengeance of the Stones, an early one I did, starts off with two RAF jets in what would be, I mean, unit dating aside, it's this mid-70s. And, um, and I researched particularly what type of aircraft were the RAF used for training out of RAF Lossiemouth in, say, 1973 uh so you know just so i think i just wanted to get it right
1: this is making me think of the story uh that's the background behind me uh the house of kingdom Yeah, yeah was that one of the stories that you had to was this a story that you had to write fast because this is this was a pandemic story wasn't it where david Tennant suddenly became available were you given a short time frame to write this one i
3: don't i don't remember it being a particularly short time scale. No, I think it was it was okay. I mean, David has done quite a lot for us uh during during the pandemic. Um, blah, blah, blah. I don't think so. It was one we had a lot of time on, but the there are others that are certainly under more pressure. I think the war doctor stories had to be written that I did for John Hurt. Uh yeah, th- those had to be written fairly smartly. Um just that as one. a bit just as a bit of
1: trivia, the um Anya's grandfather's name, Merrick, it's unusual yeah. to to have Merrick as a first name, that's usually a surname, mm-hmm. uh, but it's actually my dad's name, so that's that stood out to me
3: I have no idea I have no idea where that came from. I think it just sounded good. And then we've got Kevin McNally to play the part, which is even better. but yeah I think it's just something you don't know where these things come from. I think I just uh, said Merrick Kingdom, that sounds good. yeah I have no idea where that came from oh actually what I usually this ah, this might be it what I usually do when I'm picking a name um and it can even be an alien name I'll pick a movie sometimes a TV series usually a movie and I'll go on IMDB and I'll open up to all cast and crew and then I'll just scan down the list and I'll I'll see something that just grabs me and I think either that name that first name second name or I'll see a name and I think right I can tweak that just a bit to make it a little alien so that that's almost certainly that's what i did there yeah i think barbarians and the samurai i was yeah again i was looking up japanese actors and, and japanese films and things i found that a good yeah a good source of names just to you just look down the list and then you just see something that just yeah that's right for that character i used to, i used back in the day i used to use a phone book but try and find one of those those things now <laughs>
2: So you've written now the equivalent of about five or six seasons of Doctor Who. <laughs> um, yeah, what 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 is there left to do? What are you still keen to do?
3: You always know, more, do- more Doctor Who, uh, more Star Cops would be nice. Um, I don't know, more everything by the sounds but, of it, yeah. I, yeah, it's all just uh, I don't, I don't think anything got particularly yearning to do it. was... I think Star Cops and Time Slip were two things I always had in the back of mind. It would be lovely to do. Um, uh, second Doctor story would be good because Patrick Troughton is, is my Doctor. So Second Doctor. Or oh, the other thing, I mean, we, actually something we haven't mentioned yet uh, um, is Unit is another thing. I mean, I've done, I mean, I was, Unit, Unit was the first series that, um, uh, Uh, the first one from the modern era that the Big Finish were licensed for. I remember that was a phone, that wasn't an email, that was a phone call from David. This was one of those tell no one conversations. And, oh, I'd never known anything like it for storylines just being redrafted and redrafted. And, you know, this has got to be punchy. It's just got to be faster pace for the modern series. And it was going to Steve and Stephen Moffat. And uh, so there's a, quite rightly, you know, there's quite a, a heavy hand on the tiller. And we were reworking, just making sure, you know, those first storylines were uh uh were were right and whatever. And now, you know, several series later, again I'm script editing unit as we've got this new range, which is very exciting, unit nemesis, which is a story going to be told, uh, an arc that's over 16 episodes, four box sets. Uh, we've got the first one unit nemesis one between two worlds featuring the 11 and with tom baker as a curator coming in as well um that's coming out again in november same month as survivors new dawn and that should you know very excited about that we've got unit nemesis two in the can, and i have t- actually just uh just this morning just before i spoke to you i sent off my draft storyline for the first episode of unit nemesis three uh and yeah i'm very excited about this and uh you know it, it, it grows there's some really really good stuff some really good writing but uh, yeah and we got ice warriors in the uh, the first set as well in a very oh in a very good story written by john Dorney, set in australia Oh, about uh, time!
1: I love stories set
3: in Australia. I bet you do. Yeah. Well, he's half Australian, but, uh, so it's appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. John, John's so good. He's oh, he's he's done an episode in the second box set. Uh, when I I read the first draft, and I was salivating. It's so good. It's oh, you're gonna have to wait for that one. But it's good. It's, it's a real beauty. I, I don't think we did hardly anything with it it was to, you know for a second draft it was so so good
2: yeah no looking forward to them too now my i understand i think if i've got, worked out properly you actually are the first writer to write to the time war
3: with yeah the, the,
2: the sontaran ordeal in the...
3: the sontaran ordeal yeah for uh classic doctors new monsters uh which originally was called Monster Tales. So yeah, uh, Eighth Doctor and Centaurans. Sintaran. Centaurans with a, a new Doctor flavour. In fact, played by Dan Starkey and Chris Ryan from uh, from the series, uh, uh, from the modern series. And um, yeah, and I pretty much locked off the storyline on that, and then got an email from David saying well, we can use the Time War uh, just out the blue. And it was oh wow. And then that gave me a really interesting thing I could do with the story. Uh, right in the opening scene where there's there's this planet and there's a little ripple of the time war just a little flick of the time war just washes over the planet and totally changes its history um devastates it and there were just really really nice things to do there with with situations and characters um yeah that was that yeah that that was a nice thing a few things like that again where you we kind of lock something off and then there's a new element gets thrown into it uh, and that can be a new situation, it can be a new theme, it can be a, a, a new story element, like, like something from the new series, like that. Or it can be a new character um, that we asked to, you know, I'm asked to introduce. That happened fairly recently. But I, I, you know, it's a really good effect. I thought, how am I going to fit this person in? But it works to a really good effect. And sometimes it's, you know, there's an, an actor, maybe a major character that you've, you've drafted in the storyline, even written in a script on one occasion but then they're no longer available, so you have to replace them with another character who's maybe not someone who's known to the Doctor Who audience, that kind of thing. But that's, uh, that, that you know, that's all part of production and issues and, you know, availability. And I, I'll discuss some of it, like when Linda, you know, Linda Newton becomes available for Star Corps as In Touch. What a, what a lovely, lovely surprise that was, and and I, you know, it was great to go back to these things, these stories that we would pretty much finished off and just rewrite and rejig. Uh, and the same with when Carolyn became available for Survivors in that first series The, you know, you've got you've got some extra work to do, but very, very happily, you know, uh, Absolutely.
2: Well, Andrew, thank you so much. you brought hours of pleasure for yeah. so many people along with all your stories. And you've even it you been, been a while. Us, hours of pleasure now, too. I
3: thought, I thought when you said hours of pleasure. I thought you were talking about those podcasts. We have been on for it, haven't we? <laughs> uh,
2: but just, yeah, thank you so much for all you've done and we uh, look forward to what's cu- coming next.
3: Thank you. Yeah, I hope people like it. And uh, I, I I think you will. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, people have done a good job on it.
0: From Big Finish Productions. Unit Nemesis, Volume 1.
3: It looks like a stone arch and it's
0: glowing, giving off this bright light. Well, at this stage, alien seems likely. A stone arch that gives off a glowing light covered with unrecognized symbols dating from 16 million years ago. It's not human. Professor Merchant. Who are you? Uh, Captain Josh Carter, Unit. Well, who the blazes are you? A castaway. He's right, though. We can be nasty. Oh, I know just how nasty Time Lords can be. I think they spotted us! Yes, I've got that feeling too. It's, it's another ice warrior ship. Your organisation is not known to me. Which just goes to show how discreet it is. Jackie! Oh, Then well, We're not interested in those baubles. They're yours. Where's our three? Not now. Keep your air on, soldiers. <sighs> Shoot anyone that gets in your way! Hello. Who are you? Allow me to introduce the Curator of the Undergallery. Have we met? You remind me of someone. You work for the Royal Household. My duties, sir, are concerned with the new National Gallery in Trafalgar Square. Oh, I'm in heaven. Who are you? Where are you from? I'm the Curator. That's all anyone needs to know. I take care of things. Big finish. We love stories. Well, that sounds promising. Mm, there's a but, and it's a big butt. I hate big buts. And you cannot lie.
1: All right, Philip, uh, lots of juicy details in that interview. That was a great one. Thank you so much, Andrew Smith. I uh, hope you enjoyed that too, Philip.
2: It was amazing. Andrew's just written so much content. So Such a huge variety in nearly every single series. Yeah, it's wonderful. so just, many ranges. Yeah, it's just amazing. So it was fascinating to talk to and just... An all-around fascinating guy and some of the stories he told before and afterwards about his time with the police force, which we're not putting here because we're not a police force uh, podcast. Um, (laughs) Amazing and very funny.
1: All right. We'll we'll go straight into our recommendations. Thank you for listening so far uh, because it was uh, quite an extensive interview. But uh, we've got a couple of things to recommend. And I'm just going to recommend, actually, no, it's it's not my turn. It's your turn, Philip.
2: Don't take my turn, Dwayne. It's my turn. Uh, I'm gonna recommend um, an Andrew Smith cut surprise surprise but his first novel so when he tur- after he wrote full circle the TV script he was able to turn that into his own target novel what an amazing wonderful thing to have a target novel It'd be so exciting uh, it's been it's in a, been an audiobook recently with Matthew Waterhouse reading um, actually I, I really enjoy Matthew's voice and he's really much more as an adult so he's not trying to do his younger voice except for when he's playing Edric. Nah, but, he's, but, he's good. But he's, he's actually a, he's a really solid performer. Uh, I think often often maligned, I think, Matthew Waterhouse was in terms of what he brought to the role. And um, he's actually a very talented actor, and he voices this really well. John Neeson does all the canine bits. There's a lovely music, music score with it as well. And it's just a, an all right good novel. So, yeah, the audiobook of Full Circle Excellent. by Andrew Smith. What about you, Dwayne? What have you been listening to?
1: Well, I'm going to not recommend something written by Andrew Smith, but something that he is associated with. Uh, I'm going to recommend Dalek Universe 3 because that just released uh, uh, recently, and I've been listening to that over the last week. I haven't finished it yet, so I'm still going on it. Very, very good stuff. Uh, The whole series is magnificent, uh, set in the universe of... Daleks' Master Plan, really, yep. and it's um, yeah, sort of, sort of galaxy-spanning, universe-spanning, uh, and I love this this box set because the the final two episodes are uh, kind of a single story joined together. I think because I haven't got to the last story yet, but I'm still in the second one. But it's virtually a sequel to Destiny of the Daleks. It's um, uh, it it it's take, it takes up where Destiny of the Daleks left off with Davros going off into the prison ship and we meet up with with Davros not long after that. So, uh, very interesting to see um David Tennant working against the Terry Malloy Davros. Uh very very good stuff and uh yeah, I I I've just fallen I've fallen back in love with David Tennant over this series, I can tell you. It's done it for me. He's brought me right back
2: well, I never left him, but I'm glad you're enjoying
1: him. <laughs> all right. That'll do us for this instalment of The Sirens of Audio. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure to have your company, and we'll catch you all next time. Toodles. See you later. This has been The Sirens of Audio, episode 89, Star Cop, with our special guest, Andrew Smith, and your hosts, Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny. Next episode, it's time for another instalment of... We've got, We've got random, random. Boys. Ah! where we'll be taking a look at two multi-Doctor stories, The Four Doctors and The Light at the End. Theme music by the Jackpot Golden Boys. Drop us a like or comment on your favourite podcast app. Our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram handles are at Audio Sirens, and our website is sirensofaudio.com. And if you've discovered Doctor Who via the TV series... Listen to a few audio dramas, gone back to the TV series, then return to audio for your Doctor Who fix, then guess what? You've come full circle because audio drama rocks! Rock!